today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting at verse 6. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been great. It's uh, Paul's follow-up letter uh, to the Thessalonian, Thessalon, Thessalonian church, um, where they, he's following up with them about their on, ongoing persecution and reminding them of the truth of the, of the second coming of Christ. He hasn't already come, and the way they should act, the hope they should have. He commends them for their faith and their hope and their love in the midst of tribulation. That's why they're an example they're like an example to everyone around them because uh, even though they're enduring hardship, they are continuing to have faith, trusting God, hope. They're trusting in the ultimate work of God through it all and, um, and love. They're loving one another. They're known for their brotherly love, which is awesome. All good things. So, um, uh, so we're starting here at verse 6. If you'll stand, we'll read. Uh, we'll read the whole section and then we'll pray and, and get into it. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might be, not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk uh, among you in disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ, that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed, yet do not condemn, count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which I sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning. We pray that you give us insights and understanding into what we're supposed to see. Lord, we pray you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are, are soft and moldable and flexible, and uh, that you would, you'd be working in and through us that we'd be changed, that we'd be more like you, that we would see things right. Lord, show us the dark spots in our lives and the blindness that we have. Lord, reveal that stuff. Shed light on it so that we can live in, in just in the way we were created to, full communion with you, life in you. So we thank you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Okay, verse 6. We command you, this actually is a carryover from the verses before. He's like, that you, he's reminding them to, to do what we've asked you to do. We command you. So this has a real authoritative sense because remember, a lot of this stuff Paul had already covered. So he's going to be talking about them not working like they should. They're idle, they're lazy, uh, and a lot of it was tied in, if you remember from the first part, uh, or first, first letter, with the, the thought that Jesus was coming back, Right? So Jesus is coming back. Do you remember there used to be the sticker, all the rapture stickers, you know? In case of rapture, you know, the car's yours, you know? 
you know, all these kind of, you know, different stickers for all these different things, right? Uh, and then, uh, but then there was some of the, like, kind of counter stickers to those. And it says, Jesus is coming, look busy. You know, that was kind of like the, a little bit of the slight on people, right? Where you're like, acting like you're, the, the problem is, is that they had believed, oh, Jesus is coming back. Oh, this is the end. And so they'd grown idle. And Paul says, you do not understand what you're supposed to do. If you think that the response to knowing that Jesus is coming back or that it's the end is to go and do nothing, then you just don't get it. And so he had to say it in the first letter, and he's coming back to it again in the second. And you know how it is when you're explaining something to, say, you're like your kids. The second time has a little more oomph to it, doesn't it? The first one, you're, you're just like, you're gracious. You might be, you know, Mother Teresa. And by the fourth one, the voice is raising, you know, and now there's threats that you're like, oh, no, I have to keep that threat. We're not going to Disneyland. What did I just say, you know? Then you have to figure out how to, like, make that work out. Anyway, think before you speak. But Paul's like, he's, he's saying, he's really raising it up a little bit. He says, I command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw. Now he's getting to the point where he's saying, withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Again, continued theme. It's in light of the second coming uh, and the eschatological assertions and and beliefs that they had made about the end. Uh, And so this thinking and this lack of working had become contagious. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) I, I I go to Starbucks in the morning. I don't know what your thoughts are on Starbucks. Uh, But it's open at five. It used to be. I drove by like three of them. They're all closed, right? And part of it's, you know, uh, because, you know, still dealing with COVID ramifications. But a lot of people, they can't find work. Everywhere you look, hiring, hiring, hiring. It's contagious not to work, you know? Especially when you can find a way to do it in the easier way. So Paul's saying, let's take some drastic measures and, and let's, let's separate ourselves so that we can get rid of this attitude, this atmosphere. And, you know, that's really what we have. To, that's kind of like the idea of spending time with the Lord, is getting away from the world, the sway of the world, and spending time direct with him so that we can see things right again. So he's saying, draw away from all this negative stuff, this bad, and get away from them so that they can see and that you could see and you don't get sucked into this thinking. Paul's adamant that this is a real problem that needs to be dealt with like quickly the lack of work. And there's more to it than just, oh, you know, we want to look like good examples. There's way more to it than that. We'll get into that in a second here. Verse seven, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Uh, Paul, again, saying again, 1 Thessalonians, he kind of said his motives, he wanted them to know his motives were pure, why he was saying this. This time he's saying, I want you guys to see that I'm an example. We are examples. So we went the extra mile to be an example, like so you could see it for yourselves. Because Paul's also the same guy that says, a worker is, you know, that reasserts the, you know, the text from the Pentateuch, a worker's worthy of his wages. Absolutely. You know, there, it's nothing, there would be nothing wrong with Paul 
you know, like being blessed with food and a place to stay. But he says to be an example, especially because you, you guys really need to see this. To be an example, I'm going to, where we went the extra mile so we can be an example to you. Like, see, that's like, I feel like the difference between when we see our rights, our liberties versus love, the law of love. If, if our actions that we have liberty to do, which Paul does, are going to cause a further like degrading of thinking and lifestyle, then it's not liberty, right? That's why Paul's like, if your freedom causes somebody to stumble, then hold up, back off. This might not be the right decision for you to make, because, not because of for you, but for them. That whole thing is like, as Christians, we're to love God and love one another. So we're thinking about other people's well-being, right? And that's what makes a society like work, is, is to be thinking about other people's well-being, not just what I can get. So they'd become quite selfish. And, and to note, the Thessalonian church was amazing. Paul says, you guys are an example in this way and that way and this way and that way, all these different ways. But yet there was still some junk in their life that had to be dealt with, Right? So God's like moving and he's working and he's changing and he's shaping us. And we are not what we were, but there's still some junk in our life, right? Can, amen. Does anybody have that? No. no. You, you say it super quietly in case no one else does. We all know, like, you know, God's taking us a long way. But he, uh, he has a way of illuminating things where you're like, why is that a big deal for me? Why, why do I, that is not something I want touched. Why, why do you not want him to touch that? It's like, because he's constantly, so he's, he's working. Man, you guys will be so much more complete and thorough and your witness will only increase as you continue to follow and trust me, right? So he's seeking to be an example. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, there's a difference between not being able to work and not having work and choosing not to work, right? And so that's kind of what Paul's talking about. If you're not willing to work, then you don't eat. Neither shall you eat. And then, and then he says, some of you guys are walking in a disorderly manner. The idea is disorderly, chaos. One of the, one of the ways I think describes Satan well is he's the chaos monster, he just brings chaos everywhere he goes. So when you see chaos, you could be pretty much assured that Satan's somewhere nearby or one of his, his, work, his working is, is happening in your midst because God is a God of, of order. And the things that God does, they just make things make more sense, right? And so he, even as, as in creation, as us as human beings, he created us to produce shalom, peace, now, everywhere we go, we bring more order to the world, not less. And so if we as the church and the Thessalonians as the church are living disorderly lives, we're not doing our God-ordained, uh, we're not fulfilling that calling. And so like the name of the message, I didn't say it, I guess, before, but Imago Dei, work, or worth and work. Because we're created in the image of God to do what God does on his behalf. That's to create order. That's to bring peace. Work matters. 
He lo- he's laying out some really important doctrinal truths. Uh, in some of the classes I went through recently, we were going through the theology of work. You go, theology of work, that sounds terrible, you know. Uh, but it's actually oh, it was so helpful, I feel like. And I, I feel like it would, it would be, yeah, anyway. A lot, a lot, I guess you could say, our American idea of the theology of work is work is what I do to make money so I can do what I want to do, right? What God wants me to do is, or maybe what God wants me to do. And then uh, the goal is to retire and stop working and enjoy the fruits of my labor. There's nothing wrong, obviously, with, with retirement or anything like that, just to be clear. But that's kind of like the idea is I have to do this so I can get to do the other things that I want to do. And I have to finish my work so I can go do this and maybe even do ministry. But I think a better description, this is actually the one of uh, our mentor, my professor. He says, work is the gracious expression of Yahweh's which is God, the God of the, the covenant God of Israel and the same God we serve. Work is a gracious expression of Yahweh's creative energy in service of others to create shalom. So work, no matter what it is, whether it's a pastor or, um, you know, if you clean out porta potties for a living, it produce, it can produce peace and, and order to the world that's a blessing, so that the little piece of life that you have around you, you bring peace to it. So this is like a uh, this is like an actual mandate, and it's the word mandate, ugh, you know. <laughs> but this is a God ordained mandate. Does that sound better? Where, where we, as the children of God, are called as the image of God to invade the world with the Holy Spirit, who is God, to affect circles around us everywhere we go to bring peace to bring order to the world around us in all of our spheres so ministry is very active and this started right from the beginning genesis 1 verses 26 through 28 then god said let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over, all, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. There it is, in his imago Dei. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Fill it and subdue it, rule it. Take care of my creation. That was the, the job. And then we see this uh, in Genesis two fifteen. Then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it or to work and to keep it. The word tend or work is abad and it, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it, that's what it means. It's like to work it, to take care of it and then keep would be shamar. These are the words we see over and over again and they're te- it's temple language. So it's the same idea of the priest who would be taking care of the temple uh, because the garden, well, the temple is a picture of the garden. 
right? Even all, like if you look at all the imagery and you go back and look at the Levitical um, laws and how, this is how you make the tabernacle, how you make the temple, it's all garden imagery, right? So it's got Eden and then it goes into the garden. It's like the Holy of Holies and it's all over the place. It's really, really cool. So it's like, man, we got messed up with sin. Chaos was brought in. Disorder was brought in. Everything got super messed up. But God recreated a space where there could be shalom and peace between man and God. Here's the place you can come and live with me. And here's all the rules and regulations until the Messiah comes that I can keep you in a place where you're blessable. And so now we, as the, what is our body called? The, the what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. So now we are acting as those representatives where heaven meets earth in us. Because Jesus is living alive in us in a transformational manner that changes everything. And so work is not work. You know, it's not, we're not working for the, the weekend. It's not just TGIF, which when I was a kid were the best shows, period. How many 90s kids you remember Full House, Family Matters, Step by Step, Perfect Strangers? I don't know. Balki Bartokomus, do you guys remember? Okay, that one's a little earlier. You're like, you just dated yourself. And that would be, that would be true. But, but it's the fact that it's temple language given to work and to keep. You know what's interesting? What do you think about when you think of work? Do you think of pre-fall or post-fall when you think of the word work? Post or pre, what do you think? How many would say pre? How many would say post? right? That's because the imagery is off. All of this is, is mentioned before the fall. So the idea of work is not a contamination of sin. The ground got harder. <laughs> the birth got harder. Life got a little harder. But the idea of us working is a God-ordained idea aside from any of sin's infiltration. So that, that like changes it a little bit even right there. We were created to create. And so, but if we don't, if we have it like our lives compartmentalized and this is work, this is ministry, this is home, this is, if it's not all like completely affected by our theology of like who God is and who he's called us to be, then we're going to miss out. I was just reading through, um, how many of you guys have ever heard of the practice of, present, of the presence of God by Brother Lawrence? Anybody heard of it? We got the book in, in Bible college back in the day in our prayer class. And it's just, it's just this interesting guy uh, in Paris. And it was like in the 1500s, I think, he lived. And, and he lived uh, like a normal life in the sense of uh, he worked for the kitchen. And then he helped, you know, fix sandals. But he had just this sincere love for God. And, and his story was recorded. This is something I read literally this morning. The most effective way Brother Lawrence had for communicating with God was to simply do his ordinary work. He did this obediently out of a pure love of God, purifying it as much as was humanly possible. He believed it was a serious mistake to think of our prayer time as being different from any other. Our actions should unite us with God when we are involved in our daily activities, just as our prayers unite us with him in our quiet devotions. So it's like a full immersion takeover. So that there's no difference between work and 
church, in a sense. So it doesn't mean just work on Sundays. It, mean quite, it means quite the opposite, actually. It means, it means bring Sunday into everything else. Bring, bring this relationship into everything else because it creates, and it's so beautiful. You know, I, we used to do ministry with the OC Rescue Mission, um, and it's a, yeah, it's a great, it was a great ministry up in uh, Tustin, I think it's in Tustin. And we would, I'd have to ask my Orange County ex, is it in Tustin? Okay, there we go. Uh, <laughs> and uh, one of the things I loved is they would take these people and they'd take them off the streets and people were struggling and they'd tell a bunch of their stories. They would bring them in and they would educate them and they would teach them how to do work. And then they would get them working. And it was amazing. Their, their um, identity and their worth went up. When they started to realize, man, I can do something. I can create something. It's because there's something in us. This, you know, We talk about the salvation, God-shaped hole in all of our hearts. There's also this part of our life that's really, really important. And so if we're sitting back being lazy, and, and even when it doesn't make sense, even when the government gives you more money to not work, maybe you should still work. Because it's not just about what we get, it's about what we give and what that giving represents to the world around us. I love people who are entrepreneurs for Jesus. Like, just go for it. You bring change to the world you live in. You bring healing and hope and order to the world you live in. God literally made us and created us to be creative and to bring things to the world, not to take things from the world. So it's like a stewardship issue right? Why are we here? What is our point? How do I view the things that I do every day like it matters, right? We are created to create. Verse 13, now those who who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. He's commanding them that they, and exhorting them. Like, uh, he really wants them to understand that they're to work in quietness, right? That's the opposite of being a busybody. You guys know people who look busy, but they are never doing anything? They're just like experts at looking busy. And it's like actually more work to look busy than to actually do the work sometimes, right? But we get hooked on that because it's like, it's something in us that's just, we like to take, this, this, the wrong route. But we should be examples in everything we do. So he says, live a quiet, they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Um, I was hearing about this thing. It was called the Poverty Cure. It was a video. Um, and it was how they were doing ministries in third world countries. And that the question that's been asked for generation after generation is not, it, it has been what causes poverty? And they say, that's the wrong question. The wrong question is not what causes poverty, but what creates wealth. And so they we're not going to start going off on like a, you know, health and wealth thing here. But the idea uh, that we were meant to create and help people build and grow. I, I heard a podcast with this, this lady that she's like, I wanted to help this village where everyone is poor and you know, none of the women could get educations. And, and so she started a, a, a company and she started making shoes. It wasn't Tom's, don't worry. Uh, but she was doing something where uh, she thought, I could 
do this out of this country and we could hire inside and they could start running it. So she basically started a business that started getting run by uh, an African country, these, these ladies, and they started killing it. And they just started growing and growing and growing. And she says, and they were like these amazing entrepreneurs and they started going and going and going and it caused all kinds of, it was just amazing what it brought. It brought a whole new amount of life right there, right? Think about uh, the Chip and Go- Joanna Gaines effect. We went to Waco a couple of years ago. Do you know what Waco was like 12, 15 years ago? It was like David Koresh, right? I mean, that's what Waco was known for, right? Like, like uh, some crazy guy with a, a, a military worth of arms in a standout because, you know, he's the Messiah or whatever. That was what Waco was known for. You go to Waco now and everything has Magnolia something on it, right? It's either Baylor, which is a Christian university, or Magnolia Farms. And while we were there, you go in and there's the silo and there's this, my brother got married in Dallas. And so it was like a two and a half hour drive, I think, to Waco. We're like, we just got to go, you know? We're this close. Let's go get some cupcakes. Let's see if we can find Chip and Joanna. We did not. Uh, so we went and we checked it out and I, and they were telling us that there was, I can't remember how many, it was in the thousands, I think, of people that are employed by them directly. These are two believers, right? Who, who have learned how to create in the meantime, they haven't neglected their family, you know? So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know their kids' lives, but they seem to care about all that stuff too. But what I love seeing is I remember thinking like this place was a dump and you could see remnants of this is not a good, probably a very good city before. But it had been so dramatically affected that when we showed up, we couldn't find a parking spot and they're driving you in from all over the place just to come and see what they'd created, right? Where's Kelly Slater's pool at? It's, it's uh, Lamore. There, what's there? Yeah, guess what? The, the, Tourism is up in Lemoore, right? Waco, then they also, then I think that's what led them probably to put the wave pool in, right? So all of a sudden, Waco's now on the map, and they're like, hey, you know what we should put is a wave, a surf wave. A bunch of people from our church went, what, like three years ago? You guys surfed in like 40-degree water, and uh, anyway. But that's what, that's what I think about when you think about shalom. You're creating something that creates something. And so they're saying, let's help enable people to grow into their God-given ability to take the world, look around them, and think, not how can I make money off of this, but how can I bring something that is of value to this world that makes it better? Kind of changes everything in the way we see it. Um, I heard this story. It was actually from, again, my professor. He, he, was, uh, he was at a meeting for this, and they were talking about a guy uh, who had this business in... Um, I can't remember what country. Again, it was an African country. And he had, it was an egg business. And he would come and he would bring eggs and, and, uh, and sell them. And, and he had hired like, you know, five people to help him. And it was struggling, but they were getting by doing it. And he says, a short-term missionary group came in and, and they brought in like pallets and pallets of eggs. Brought them all in, gave, you know, all this food, all this and that, and then drop it all off. And they were there for a while and they brought it in again. Before they knew it, his business was toast. Because, of course, they're not going to buy them when you get them for free. And, and the solution was that, well, the problem was is that the next year they didn't come back. And so short-term solutions, give away, give away. Let me give you this. Let me give you this. Let me give you this. That does not change anything. But it's being inspired 
and understanding who we are in God to be creative members, to make a difference in the world. That means to work hard and to be really creative. That brings a whole different kind of life, right? Imago Dei, image of God, created to create. But as for you, verse 13, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. This is a major master-like issue because you're definitely going to grow weary if your focus is on man and man's praise. So don't grow weary in doing good. That's why all of this has to be done as unto the Lord, right? And it's so easy to get off and twist it up. This is a long-haul stewardship issue. Don't grow weary in doing good. What is doing good is honoring God. Following him, obeying him. Don't grow weary in these things. Again, if you're doing it for man, it's going to run short. If you're doing it for the pastor, it's going to run short. If you're doing it to look good, man, every, people see through it. Especially if you have kids or a spouse. We need like real transformational change. And, and yet, even at that, it's going to take discipline on the long haul. You know what? It means we're not going to always get what we want or how we want to get it. But God is calling us to something way bigger and better than that. Verse 14, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. That sounds kind of gnarly, doesn't it? But I think the idea is don't allow comfort to negate conviction. One of the things that's hardest to see is when God convicts someone of something, and then they have somebody else convince them that they shouldn't be convicted about it. That's what you got to be really careful. When people have convictions about something, don't try to change them. You know? Uh, and and I, I had an experience. I was with some friends, and some of them were like, you know, they're, they were like fine drinking. And, uh, but this guy had had issues with, with alcohol. And uh, that was like part of his past. And he's like, I, you know, I just, when I walked away, I walked away. That was it, you know? And, uh, and he's like, but I don't know. If everybody else is okay with it, Maybe I should try again. I said, I don't think you should. I, don't, I do not think you should. And, and, and we'll hang out. I'll be with you. <laughs> like, but, but I don't think you need that, that, the fact that they don't have that conviction. You need this conviction. I believe that. This is not somewhere you need to be going. And so talking someone out of a conviction, I think, is a very, very dangerous thing. Uh, to the contrary, it's like saying, like, hey, look. Like, let's not keep company with this person. Let's not enable them. So we're going to let them feel this all on their own, right? Let them feel the, the weight of their choices. And be, and, but don't count them. Here's the other part. Don't count them as an enemy. Be like Jesus waiting. Just, or the father, right? If you think about like the, the, the parable of the you know, prodigal son. Just waiting. Come back, I'm there for you. You know, so you don't see him as an enemy, but you admonish him as a brother. Hey, look, this isn't going to work. You know, you can't keep going this route. This isn't the life we're going to live. This is not the representation we want to have. By the way, when we're lazy, I mean, we do not feel good, right? It does not feel good. When we're, when we're just taking, it does not feel good. That's why the kids who are like the most spoiled always turn out the best, right? That always works out for them, right? No, it's like the kids who grow up having to earn it and work for it and, and, and struggle and figure out how to, you know, I mean, gosh, I've done some creative stuff to make car payments before or house or rent. 
And I've told some of those stories, right? I got to figure out how to make rent. And somebody had given us these gift cards, visa cards. And I'm like, I'm going to go buy these really expensive cheeses at Ralph's and then return them for cash. You know, that's what I was thinking, because I need some money. You know, (laughs) I have like 50 bucks short on rent. So I'm like going in, acting like I'm so, you know, ooh, what's the most expensive thing I could buy the least of? You know, so I'm not going to carry around like 75 boxes of cereal or something. I'd like some of these fancy cheeses, and then, uh, and then I, I, so I walk out, and I, then I go back in. Oops, I got the wrong cheese, and they put it back on the visa. No, they put it on a, they put it on a gift card. That's what it was. Oh, we can't give you cash. I'm like, this is why I did this, you know. I didn't actually want this fancy cheese. But sometimes you got to do that. you got to scrap. You're looking for pennies, quarters, whatever. There's something about that that's valuable, right? It teaches you honesty. It teaches you dis- discipline, all of that. By the way, we need to be a blessing to people who are struggling. We do. We do. That's, that's, that's the other part of this, you know? But the idea is to enable people to be able to, to become part of the solution to the world. It's like more, the more creators that we have, the better. The more people in this room that are, are bringing peace and shalom to the world, the more peace and shalom there is in the world. So don't let the conviction go negated or, you know, talk yourself out of being convicted. Verse 16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. See, listen to that. Now may the Lord of peace, the Lord of shalom himself give you shalom peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. See, the, the, he is the one that has peace. Then he will give you peace. He's the, he's the source of peace. So it's really important also to understand that we, in the image of God, our value and our worth, yeah, we can have a little bit of that, like in, inherent value, you know, image of God. People matter. Uh, that also helps us look at people that we think are different than us and we don't like or are enemy. Their image of God too. And they're created to create good things. And sometimes we see people who are really using their creativity and their ability to make things, and they're doing it for evil, right? God wants to hijack that and pull that in and change the whole setup. But we won't be able to have peace and bring peace uh, without living in it, you know? Again, I cannot reemphasize this enough, especially the more chaotic life gets, the more time we need just to get away. Spend time with God in prayer, in stillness, quiet your hearts. Just sit before him, pray, read, soak it up. Right, we have the reading plans back there. But by the way, if you can't do a whole reading plan and you're like, this has just become like a check at the box off the list, then then slow down maybe and just read a psalm or two or a psalm or whatever or a section of verses and sit on it and meditate on it and let the word of God transform your heart and your life and have that peace. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul by my own hand. Again, he's signing it, which is a sign in every epistle. So I write the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's, I love that he always ends it with grace. We have nothing without the grace of God. And so anything we think we are, Without the grace of God, we are nothing. We give nothing. We have nothing to offer. So I think it's a real, um, 
I think it's so exciting, to be honest, because the idea of just working for the weekend or just working for retirement is a bummer. (laughs) You know, like that, that just sounds like such a long time, right? What about, by the way, enjoy your weekends. Enjoy them. This is not being, become a workaholic. Quite the opposite. Like Sabbath is really an important part of uh, weekly rhythms, so to speak. Being able to spend some time and, and, you know, just enjoy God and realize and remember, I am not the one holding the whole world up together. That's kind of what Sabbath is. A rec- you know, recognizing, yeah, I'm not, I am not the one that can sustain everything. I'm not the one that's in charge of everything. I'm not the one that can even make sure my family's fed. I mean, God, I still, I need you. So there's that part of it, but then there's also the, hey, God, let me be like excited, uh, not just to get by with work, but let me be like one that creates in that space. So Lord, help me to work hard and to be creative and to bring peace into the world that I live in. Close with a story. With last last story, it was again. We just I just had class this week, so I heard it's funny. We just had the theology of work. We went over it this week. I'm like, well, that's interesting. And he was uh, Gary was talking about these this this run that they would do. It was from Mount Hood to the coast in Oregon. It was like 200 miles or something crazy like that. And they would go six mile run, and they would you know switch out and all this and that. He said by the third leg, uh, the most uh, popular place you could be is the porta potty because your body's like toast. You know, and he says, so we're sitting there at, at that leg. And he says, no matter how many, how many you have, it's not enough. People are hurting. Uh, and he says, all of a sudden a guy comes and, and uh, he says, it was called honey pot, porta potties. Well, you beautiful. Um, and he comes and he just starts, he's, he's the sucker. He sucks it all out, you know. And, and, he's, and so he says, I make a point when I go out and see someone doing something like that to say thank you for doing this. And so he says, thank you so much for doing this. And he says, oh, no problem. He says, I do it for the glory of God. You go. I think about our trash men. One week we had, they missed our trash. It, it, one week, okay. Two weeks, it's starting to become a problem, right? You think I'm going to light a fire in the alley and, you know, like see what we can burn off here. You start realizing, you know, we saw this. Trash men went on strike. Things start falling apart real quick, huh? To bring shalom and peace to everything you do. For the, for the glory of God, make the world better. No matter what it is. It doesn't mean you have to be a CEO, but it does mean that we are creatively working with this in mind. And that, sh- that should be really helpful. Motivation, right? For the glory of God. All right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much um, for your word, for your, uh, your direction, your guidance. Lord, um, we know we need you to, to help us, Lord, because it's so easy to get caught up in huh, choosing 